Broadcasting live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. starting things off with Lonesome Old River Blues from Nashville and Escalante, Utah. This is your host, Gary Holt. Joining me is our co-host, Miss Bobby Bell in Albuquerque. Hey, Bobby. Good morning, Gary. Are you all set for a wonderful weekend? I am gearing up for a Easter celebration, so this is going to be a lot of fun. I think we've got family coming over on Sunday to celebrate Easter, so that will be nice. And uh, and Easter is a whole lot for the kids and a whole lot for remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us. So we're looking forward to it. How about you? Yes, uh, we are too. Jim, my husband Jim, has an important um, birthday on Saturday, and we're going to actually adventure out of the house for the first time in a year and uh, take a little trip up to Santa Fe and have a really nice dinner, um, social distancing, of course. <laughs> uh-huh. And then Sunday, we're actually going to step back in the doors 
of our church for the first time in a year. We've been watching online and very eager to get back, you know, with folks. So, yeah, we're looking forward to um, kind of stepping out into the world this weekend. <laughs> All right. Well, wish Jim a happy birthday for us, and and we'll be thinking Thank about you. you guys. You know, last week we had a terrific show with the Quaby Sisters. And for folks that are listening, we want to remind you that you can listen to the podcasts of that show as well as today's show and many, many others by visiting iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, iTunes, and of course our website, equestrianlegacy.net. And if you're looking at iHeart and Spotify and those others, just plug into the search bar, Equestrian Legacy Radio, and you'll find those. So it was a great show, and for folks that would like to go back and listen to that, they can. But we have a great show lined up for today. So you want to tell our listeners who is joining us for the Campfire Cafe? Oh, my goodness. We have Hal Cannon with us today making his first appearance. You and I have had him on the bucket list a long time, Gary. (laughs) Well, we're looking uh, forward to that. with us today. (laughs) Yeah, we're looking forward to visiting with with Hal and sharing music from Three Hat Trio. So it's going to be a lot of fun on the Campfire Cafe. And then in the second hour on Saddle Up America, Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horseman of America will be joining us, and we're going to talk a little bit in the second hour about the threats to our public lands. So that should be a show that should be enjoyable and something that's important to our trail riders and other people that enjoy the use of our public lands. But right now, let's take a listen to a song from Three Hat Trio. It's called Zion Song. When we come back, we'll be talking with Mr. Hal Cannon today on the Campfire Cafe. Something bigger than us all. 
mine, you never judge me. Virgin River gives me water from her hand. When everything turns to crazy, Zion back home again. Zion, whoa, Zion, whoa, it's still the place that turns my head, I give my soul to it. Zion, whoa, Zion, whoa, the raven's call to something grand, to something bigger than us all. winning Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Zion's song performed by today's guest, Hal Cannon, and the Three Hat Trio from their album, Live at Zion. Hal Cannon sings lead vocals and plays banjo and guitar in the group Three Hat Trio. He also writes many of the Hat songs. Widely known as a folklorist, songwriter, and radio producer, his early musical life was dedicated to capturing the beauty and styling of 19th century folk music of the American West. He is a founding light of the Deseret Stage String Band, the Western Folk Life Center, and the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering. After producing over 100 cultural features for NPR, he now produces occasional radio documentaries for Australian Radio National. He lives in a pecan orchard in the old pioneer village of Pocketville on a bend in the Virgin River. If you ask most people what Western music is, you are likely to hear the response, cowboys and Indians. Three Hat Trio has great respect for this music, yet they also think there is more to the West and its music. Musicians like to identify with things larger than themselves. Music is often identified with place like the Delta and its blues, or mountain music of Appalachia. In the case of the Three Hat Trio, inspiration comes from the deserts of southern Utah, thus American desert music. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe an acclaimed cowboy scholar, musician, folklorist, and visionary, the multi-award winner, Hal Cannon. Welcome, Hal. <laughs> hey, great to be with you. Hey, Hal Cannon. How are you? 
Hello, Gary. How are you? I'm fine. By the time that Bobby did that introduction, I was so impressed, I'm kind of afraid to talk to you. I just don't know. Well, what I, was, I, I was thinking you were talking about somebody else. Let's, let's, let's pretend that's true. Oh, gosh. Well, it, you're almost a neighbor, you know, being over in Virgin, Utah, and I'm down in Escalante right now, so it's that's pretty close. Pretty close. Just across the mountain. Just across the mountain. But um, I've talked to a, a lot of folks that have been on the show this past year about how this COVID-19, this pandemic, has affected you and your performances. So, been been kind of hard on you guys performing. Yeah, like all all musicians, we uh, we rely on concerts and tours um, because you know you the whole CD business has sort of been taken over by the what I call the digital pirates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's um, <laughs> you know the way it is. Uh, but you, you know we were on our way to Europe last May and had to cancel that and had some festivals in the summer we canceled and now uh, you know we're just starting to get booked again. Uh, we're going to be down in Bobby's area at the Albuquerque Folk Festival in October, doing a little touring, a little sort of close. And we'll be in Boulder, not too far from Escalante, in August. Yeah, and, uh, Tory and uh, we you know uh, maybe in de- de- uh, Netherlands in late October again. So we've toured in Europe about four times and we really have a, a, a wonderful uh, group of fans over there. So uh, in UK and uh, Europe. Yeah. Uh, and you told me the other day that, that maybe you'd be coming to Nashville. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, I'm hoping for that. Yeah. 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 How do you, how do you find the European audiences compared to the American audiences? What are, what are the differences? Well, you know, frankly, we found that they're a little bit more open to what we're trying to do, which is expand the idea of what Western music is. I think the American audiences, you know, know what Western music is, and it's it's pretty much cowboy music or Indian music, uh, Native American music, and, you know, it doesn't go too much farther than that. And I, I love both, all of those traditions very much, but... You know, the Europeans are always, they love the, the desert southwest. They they come to our national parks. Yeah. They, they're awe-inspired by it. They feel it. And um, when they hear our music, they they feel the same. They feel what we're feeling, uh, living here on a daily basis. And and so they, uh, they're very excited about what we're doing and what we're contributing. And, you know, we found it actually a little harder to break into uh, the sort of uh, American tur- touring scene. Yeah, yeah. It, that's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, being from Nashville, it's kind of the same thing. Everybody everybody associates Nashville with country music, but it's all kinds of music, all kinds of music. And, uh, you know, that's one of the cool things about, music i think is the fact that if it's good music it doesn't make any difference what you call it it's just good music i totally i totally agree with you on that one i love yeah. a wide palette of music i always grew up with you know my parents like show music they like classical music they like western music folk music and um we we just 
you know, I just like good music. <laughs> oh, I do too. <laughs> I, I kind of got tickled, Bobby. The, you know, Mary Kay's a little bit younger than I am, uh, which doesn't make any difference. But you know, I will I will mention a musical artist, and she's I've never heard of that person. And so, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this this Alexa is pretty cool because you can tell Alexa to look up anything, and it's pretty much going to find it for you. So I've been introducing her to some different type of stuff, and how a lot of it is from you know another generation back. So, but it's all good music. It's all yeah, good music. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get to another song real quickly. This one is one called Western City Nights, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Mr. Hal Cannon, and uh, and and I want to find out a little bit about Elko. And uh, how all that got started. So we'll be back in just a minute. This is Western City Lights. You're listening to the Campfire Cafe.
That's Western City Nights, Three Hat Trio, and our very special guest today on the Campfire Cafe is Mr. Hal Cannon. So Hal Elko, I guess, yep. is the granddaddy of all gatherings. And how did that come about? Well, uh, it was a group of folklorists, mostly. Um, that I, I was the state folklorist of Utah at the time, working for okay. the Utah Arts Council. And a bunch of us were in Washington, D.C., and somebody came up with the idea of doing a pro- regional project, going out and trying to find working ranch people, cowboys, ranch women, that uh, recited old poems or wrote poetry about the life that they lived. Not as much sort of the mythic life of cowboys, but the real life. And, uh, right. So right. we went out and did a bl- bunch of field work, um, and there were a couple of cowboys uh, very involved in the whole planning at the very beginning, Waddy Mitchell and a guy named Glenn Orland particularly. But Waddy was uh, really a great advisor. And But we over it took several years because there would never been anything like it to put together, but we finally decided on Elko, Nevada, because it was a cow ta- cowboy town and um, fairly close to where Waddy lived and a bunch of cowboy poets. And uh, So we started in 1985 in January, and we had, a, I don't know, maybe 20 cowboy poets. Uh, Baxter Black headlined the show, and a uh, musical, musical group called Horse Sense, so who aren't around yeah. anymore for the singing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. it... Um, it was a weekend event, and it, people went crazy. We we had press from all over the country that were just fascinated by this idea that cowboys could be poets. That just had never been heard of. You know, I I, I like things that you know defy <laughs> the the explanations. Norm. That, yeah. You know, not the norm. That, that sort of that's fun for me, breaking new ground. And um, so I sort of led the charge, but there was a group of people. That, really founded the Cowboy Poetry Gathering. Yeah, yeah. Well, if I can remember correctly, I had Waddy on the show, and he told me that uh, you had X number of chairs that were set out, and then you had to get a few thousand chairs to set out for that very first episode. <laughs> I know. It was so funny, because I was, I was the guy that was setting up the chairs with him, and he said, that's hard. We're going to embarrass ourselves when we put more chairs out. And I said, no, please, Waddy, there's, there's a People around the block trying to get in here. <laughs> oh, jeez. And what, what he said, now, Pard, if you ever come to Elko, you'll always come back again. So I guess that's why I haven't been to Elko yet. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to getting uh, out there. I'm looking yeah, forward. you need to. It was yeah. all done virtually this year, but they're, I hope they're planning. I, I'm not. Uh, I retired from some years ago, but I'm still you know, close to the people who run it. And right. I think they're going to do it live next January. I hope. Well, I hope so. Um, yeah, it was, it was, they were pretty early on to decide not to, not to do it as well. So, you know, one of the things yeah. though, Hal, I've noticed about Elko is that their musical guests, uh, there's a whole lot of variety in the type of music. Yeah. It's not just, traditional cowboy stuff you know um right did you have an influence there on that oh uh, maybe i'm not sure you know <laughs> one thing that i started doing um or we started doing is we would do these cultural exchanges where we'd go 
uh, travel over to, you know, like I went to, we went to Mongolia and oh, found wow. horsemen and cowboys and brought them over and, and they shared their music with cowboys and, you know, everybody had bull legs from riding horses, but they didn't speak right. the same language, <laughs> but right. they did speak right. the same language in a way. And we did that with the gauchos down mm-hmm. in South America and the paniolas from Hawaii and uh, mm-hmm. the cowboys, the French cowboys from the Camargue and various others, um, Irish cattle tenders and reciters of poetry and singing. And so, no, we've mixed it up since the beginning. And, uh, but it's, it's pretty much down the line to cowboy. And some, you know, sometimes our audience say, wait, you went a little too far. More cowboy the next year. And then we get, we get a wild hair the year after and people <laughs> somehow are, uh, I don't know. They give us a little bit of slack most of the time. Sometimes. Oh, jeez. Well, that's one of the things I enjoy about about Elko and and their their posting of uh, video. They do a great job on that, and uh, and just the variety of music is to me it's fun. I mean, it's just enjoyable. Yeah. yeah well, the but, woman who's now the the director was at TED Talks for years and was head of all their translations, like 25,000 translators around the world. So she knew a lot about uh, online, you know, getting, using the World Wide Web as 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 to build audience. And so that's really been her doing, uh, her leadership that's gotten all these great videos out there and continues to build audience. But they're getting, you know, more viral videos all the time. And I think it's good for not only the the Elko event, but it's good for the genre. It's good for American music and for mm-hmm. cowboy music so. and Western music. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. We want to get to another song because I'll get shot if we don't play enough music. And okay. this is this is one called Pushing You Down. Uh, tell us a little bit about this. Well, <laughs> this is our new record. Uh, uh, we come out with a new record called Lost Sessions. Yeah. And, um, it's called Lost Sessions because we thought we'd lost all of the music when a piano fell on the hard drive. Oh, geez. Busted it all to pieces. But we somehow got a company to recover the files. And this Pushing You Down is one that um, my partner, Greg Istock, wrote. And um, and it's just uh, – it's sort of like a little soap opera kind of a song. If you, you really can understand his words, and he makes it that way. He likes you to – have to listen to it a bunch of times, but it's a story of um, a couple of uh, slick types in Hollywood trying to take advantage of the talents of a, a beautiful young act- actress in Hollywood. And, uh, something that never happens. Way. Yeah, something <laughs> no, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is, this is a soap opera song. All right, well, let's take a listen to this soap opera song. It's called Pushing You Down. We'll be back and talk more with Hal in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe.
we're back. Um, we're talking with Hal Cannon, and we just heard from the brand new um, album coming out, Lost Sessions, Pushing You Down. You know, Hal, it was it's so interesting, and thank you for sending Gary and myself um, so much of the music from, I think, I think from three, three or four albums. And of course, um, so different, just as we said in the intro, so different from what um, somebody might expect to hear if they're thinking, oh, that's Western music. I'd really love you to talk a little bit about, um, you, you refer to your sound as American desert music, and also to just touch base on these two gentlemen that you play with. It's so very interesting. Tell us more about that. Well, maybe I'll start with the last part of your question, which is uh, the three, the sort of three odd grouping. <laughs> you know, I moved to this tiny little town, and I just sort of had this vision of me sitting out on the porch with my banjo and growing old and my beard getting longer every day and and being alone and solitary in this beautiful place near Zion National Park. And then, you know, we were here for a year, and I was playing a lot of banjo and, and hanging out and there was one other musician in town, and he he was a guy oh, about my age, maybe a little younger, and, and had dreadlocks down his back and was <laughs> had been a professional reggae musician. And we were friendly, and, and uh, you know, and, but we never expected we'd have anything in common musically. And then one time uh, we were invited to, uh, to a, a, a friend's son was doing a recital to get money together for his orchestra to go play in Disneyland. He's 15-year-old, a violinist, been wow. playing violin since he was four, uh, Eli. And uh, afterwards, uh, the father talked us into jamming with his son. And at the end of that, Eli said, you know, I've never done anything like that. That was fun. Can we do that again? <laughs> so we started playing with his kid. He turned 16. And by the time... You know, a few months later, we'd recorded our first album, and six albums later, he's 24, and we're, we're a little bit older, not much. He's a lot older now than we are. And so we got this group going of, of a classical violin player, a reggae musician, and a cowboy folk singer. And, oh, wow. Um, it just all sort of came together. But I think the thing that really unifies us is that we live in this place that really affects us. Uh, we sit, uh, we usually rehearse at this place where we're overlooking the Virgin River and these cliffs. And sometimes we'll just play for hours and not even almost be aware that what we're doing. Uh, we're mm -hmm. so, we get mm -hmm. into these almost transits. And this new record is actually much more that way. It's much less traditional in its song forms and much more free form. Um, than any of our other work. And so it's sort of an experiment on our part. You know, we when we started, we said, you know, we made a pact that we weren't going to do, we weren't going to copy anyone. We were just going to try for something new. And yeah. we just sort of stuck with that idea. And, uh, and we sort of give it credit to our landscape. And we don't take credit, you know, say that we're the only ones who play American desert music. I mean, cowboys are the pioneers of it. Native Americans and their music are very much affected by the landscape and the way it sounds, that sort of spacious sound. And uh, so there's a lot of people that have done it, but we're, we're laying claim to it as well. 
Well, it is. It's so very unique. And I was I was glad that you mentioned um, with the other song, Pushing You Down, that um, it, it that <laughs> Greg likes to make it sort of hard for you to hear the lyrics. I think uh, when I was prepping for the show, I must have listened to that song, you know, uh, over and over again. And I, I was wishing I had li- uh, liner notes. <laughs> I know. I, I, it, yeah, yeah. He doesn't make it easy. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> So when you're when you're collaborating as you do and you have several wonderful videos, especially your introductory video, the eight minute one that really introduces the band, um, you're you're sitting in your plane in this fabulous landscape. This is sort of a stupid question because I'm not a musician. How do you capture and remember when you're jamming what you've just played? Uh, we use the modern technology of recording. <laughs> <laughs> Turn on the iPhone. So are yeah. you recording all the time? Yeah, we, are you recording we, all the we, time so you catch it? We record a lot. and We we set up microphones. Sometimes we do it formally. Sometimes it, it really is just an iPhone and just say, I don't want to forget that. And then, you know, mm-hmm. but we have so much. And, and if it doesn't, sometimes it rises to the top and we come back to it and but we have tons of stuff that we good good ideas that are just sort of sitting there and waiting for us to de- develop further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the album is um, great. The music is great, and uh, we want to get to another song real quickly, Bobby, and then hold your question because we're going to come back and talk more oh, with no Hal worries. Cannon. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more with Hal Cannon and Bobby Bell in just a moment on good. the Campfire Cafe, heard around the world. Online at equestrianlegacy.net.
That's Miss Tilly, Three Hat Trio. We're enjoying their music, and we are really enjoying our conversation with our very special guest, Mr. Hal Cannon, today on the Campfire Cafe. So with all of this downtime that you've had the past year, uh, I'm going to guess there's some new music that's been written. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, I spent the last oh year and a half working on a solo album. It's not, well, the album part's done, but I've been writing a musical memoir to go with it. So that's um, that's been in the, the musical memoirs happening. The, the recording is done, but it won't come. It'll come out this year. Uh, Three Hat Trio has been working on new music. Um, of course, we have this new Lost Sessions that just came out, and that's been all new music. So. Oh, and that yeah. is critically, you know, when, that's being critically acclaimed, by the way, for folks that are listening. Lost we're Sessions is a lot received. of good reviews. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm, great reviews. Mm-hmm. But I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no, it, just, yeah, it, it has been a very fertile time for making uh, new music, for sure. And also just exploring new ground, which has uh, been exciting. Well, I'm I'm Bobby and I are both kind of looking forward to this next year, uh, this year and this next year because so many artists that have just kind of been grounded are spending a lot mm-hmm. of time writing new music. So I think we're in for a, I think we're in for a music music treat to the ears. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think when, I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Oh, yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah, so I'm expecting I'm expecting a solo solo album in the mail sometime later this year. And also looking forward to having you come back again too. But uh, we're not through talking, we're not through playing music, and uh, we want to get to another song from Three Hat Trio. It's called "Get on the Bus," and uh, we'll come back and talk more with Hal Cannon. And Bobby Bell, this is Gary Holt, and uh, you're listening to the Campfire Cafe. I'm lonely in a four-pound cafe. I should have made, but I can't remember. 
From the album Dark Desert Night, we're chatting with Hal Cannon of the Three Hat Trio. Um, Hal, I, I kind of have a creative question. You're you're involved in, in in so many different kinds of endeavors. Do you do you ever deal with kind of I'll call it writer's block or a creative block? And if you do, how do you how do you get around it? That's that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I I have a problem with that and. Uh, you know, I, I, not not as much in the last few years because I just know that, um, you know, it will pass, you know, when you're feeling funky and you just, you know, don't feel like anything you say or do is worth anything. That's that's an easy <laughs> thing to get to fall into. And I think we all have a, a tendency to, to go that way. And, you know, sometimes you just uh, – my, my wife – one of her mentors, a great poet, you know, just says, um, told her and um, the, you know, you just you don't have to write a great poem every day, you know, but you need to write a poem, and yeah. uh, and uh, and so you know, I'm just content um, to write a bad song, <laughs> and uh, maybe it won't be the light of day, but at least I've done it, you know, and uh, the next yeah. day maybe I'll write something great. Well, as they say, you can't edit an empty page, you know, so a blank page. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. um, do, you, do you have any um, advice for budding songwriters or, or poets um, that would, you know, that you could share? Well, um, I, you know, I would just say, you know, get there and get down there and do it. Um, and, uh, 
you know, might you might want to just keep it to yourself. And uh, and then there's a lot of people out there that are good teachers too. And the and the accessibility to teachers through online and you know this new way of communicating is just incredible. Uh, it's a great great resource, and uh, so you can take a workshop and you know have somebody sort of you know giving you assignments and that's a really good way to, to get going uh you know the hardest thing is when that formal thing ends how do you keep going with it and mm-hmm. you just sort of start you need to start building that uh idea that you know part of your life is a practice i mentioned my wife who's a visual really wonderful visual artist Teresa jordan and she has had this practice for the last oh 150 days maybe of drawing a different bird every day oh wow and and these are just beautiful and she posts them you know they're uh on on facebook or on instagram and they're just you know and some are better than others but the fact is is that i've been with her you know at 11 o'clock, we're both dog-tired, and she says, I haven't finished my bird yet. (laughs) She finishes her bird and gets it on there, which she does. You know, I learn a lot from Teresa. (laughs) Uh, That's really interesting. Gary, what are you going to play next? We are going to go to another song called Carry Me Away. And uh, we're going to come back and talk more with Hal Cannon, and we're going to let our listeners around the world find out how they can get his music and follow their tour schedule in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe.
Well, Hal Cannon, I have been a fan of Three Hat Trio for a long time, and after that song, I think people understand why. That is <laughs> that is great. That is great. Well, tell folks how they can find your music and purchase that. And, uh, you know, the best thing to do is to buy a real album or a CD. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We love that. And, and the best, you know, you can buy, uh, you can download or buy our albums uh, at Amazon or Apple or, you know, any of the places and uh, that you listen to your music. But, uh, probably the best thing to do if you want to keep up with where we're playing and where we're touring and get a CD and sort of everything is our, and uh, you, you can either find us on Facebook, uh, just search for three hat trio. Now the tricky part is three hat trio is all one word and it's the right. three and then H A T hat and then trio T R I O that's hat three hat trio, all one word. And, and our website is www.threehattrio.com. But uh, so if you know how to spell three hat trio, and it sort of looks when you write it down, it almost looks like you wrote it in Russian. So uh, <laughs> anyway, that's. But it's three hat trio. <laughs> we got six albums, and uh, I don't know. We got all sorts. We got hints even. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh! And they're starting to tour again, so you can you can follow their tour schedule on their website as well. And uh, yeah. and I'm I, you know. While I'm in Utah, I hope we can connect some way or another. That would be a ton of fun. And oh, um, yeah, yeah. But if not, then looking forward to having you show up in Nashville and you guys be performing there as well. I know, I know they would love you in Nashville. You know, we uh, uh, we have an agent now in Atlanta, and she's got a tour cooking for spring of '22 in the Carolinas and Tennessee. So I'm hoping we'll be touring there then. Well, that'd be great. That would be great. You know, you guys would be great uh, at Bonnaroo. Uh, and that has opened back up again this year. It was canceled last year, but that is a huge deal that takes place in June. And uh, Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah, tell her. Tell her to see if she could hook you up with Bonnaroo. That'd be a blast. But okay. anyway, okay. you have been a blast. I have enjoyed talking you with you so much, and I know Bobby has as well. And, well, Bobby uh, and, and Gary, yeah. we've had, I've had a blast too. It's, it's so fun to talk to you, and I just, Bobby, you have the best laugh. I really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be funny, just so I can make you, you laugh and hear your laugh. <laughs> oh gosh. You <laughs> have. That's that's almost her trademark. I'm telling you. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, look forward to having you back. Send us the new album when you come out with a solo album, and uh, we're gonna have to have you back again. This this has just been too great. You have, okay, as she I've said, you've been on our you've been on our bucket list for a long time. So tickled that we've got you this time. So yeah. anyway, we're gonna close out this Great. segment of the show with another song from Three Hat Trio. It's called Off the Map. And uh, Hal Cannon has been our special guest today on the Campfire Cafe. He was a simple desert cowboy chasing a wild coyote. Jealousy was a fire, they would not let him go. He was going down, down. 
Time now for Saddle of America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We'll be back in just a moment with our very special guest, Mr. Randy Rasmussen on Saddle of America. Heard about a land where the cowboys came. Take a picture on the wall from a magazine. Got a renegade heart beating in his chest Gonna beg till I borrow his way out west And a sea of stage on and on Gonna learn the way of a native son Gonna turn the head of our
now Throw a leg over with a squint and a smile No pay for money can pay them dues Just dragging cabs and building loops And it's the archangel and on and on Gonna learn the way of a native Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. That's a horse called Freedom by Mary Kay Holt. And we are going to welcome to the show now our good friend, Mr. Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horsemen of America. Hey, Randy. Hello, Gary. Hi, Bobby. Good to be here. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just good to have you with us. Just good to have you with us. So we've got sunshine where I am, and how's the weather out where you are? Out in western Oregon, it's actually been spring this week, so it's a, a, it's a much, you know, long-awaited uh, spring. But, yeah, things are looking good. Well, I think people are ready to hit the trails and get out and do some trail riding. And uh, 
And where I am out in Utah right now, we've got a lot of hikers that are ready to hit Bryce Canyon and uh, Slot Canyon and Zion, where our last guest is from, Mr. Hal Cannon, out near Zion National Park. Um, There is a lot going on right now with our public lands, isn't there? There's a ton going on with people getting outdoors. Both you have COVID still, just like uh, the previous season, and people getting cooped up in their homes for too long and wanting to hit the trails. And I think we're going to have the same situation for a short time here, but I think we have a new generation of people, or at least all generations, who realize the value of, of you know getting outdoors with this uh, whole you know COVID thing. So. It's all good. It's just going to be a question of how do we accommodate the masses, but I'm thrilled that people are getting out and enjoying public land. That's the bottom line for us. Yeah. That's just yeah. important. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about this a couple of months ago, uh, but there's a real issue that's going on, and I know you guys are talking a lot about it with Backcountry Horsemen of America, and and that's this electric bike issue so why don't you bring our listeners up to speed on what's going on with that oh you bet it's probably the electric bike issue is bchas uh, the backcountry horsemen of america's number one issue or potential threat right now um so picture you know this is about electric motorized bicycles and we're talking about the mountain bike variety with the big knobby tires many of these electric bikes look like regular mountain bikes you can't really tell the difference easily some of them are so beefed up they look like motorcycles and they have some of them have the speed of motorcycles oh wow our non-motorized trails and that's what scares us um i think you're going to be safe in many of the national parks on the backcountry trails because national parks don't allow mountain bikes for the most part in what I'll call our backcountry national parks like Zion okay, uh, and Bryce. But where we're going to see them even more so is on our national forests and our Bureau of Land Management public lands in the, in the 11 western states, including Alaska. Um, so I mentioned you can't, you know, some of these look just like regular mountain bikes. For the right. most part, and even I thought I've schooled myself in e-bike identification. I have to do a double look when I see them on the trails. I have to look at that mm. crankcase down, you know, where the, the pedals come from and, and the, the crank arms. And yeah. it's, it's fatter and it's bigger. Maybe that down tube that goes from the handlebars down to the crankcase is a little bit fatter. That contains the battery. Okay. But the motor's in that crankcase. And, you know, you have to look twice to even recognize it's an electric bike. So... Maybe let me tell you about the good and the bad of electric bikes. Um, okay. You want good, to tell us? Yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. You can't always complain about things. Give us the good news and then give us the bad news. That, yeah, that'd all be all right. right. <laughs> good news is electric bikes open up opportunities for people who couldn't otherwise enjoy trails without a motorized assist on their bicycle. I'm thinking of returning veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan People getting along in their years and used to get out either horseback or bike but can't, I can see there's a huge need and a benefit provided by electric bikes, And there's a, but there's a big if, you know. 
if mm-hmm. they're in the right places. And certainly our position with backcountry horsemen is because of their potential for speed, because of their silent approach, uh, they're not going to be, you know, desired, uh, you know, on most trails that are shared by hikers and horsemen because of that danger. And we all know what that danger is. Our, our animals are going to startle. Um, you know, they do already with mountain bikes in many cases. Right. You know, not, not expecting an encounter. Take that same issue and multiply it by a factor of several because even the lowest speed electric motor assist bikes, you know, the motor tops out at 20 miles per hour. Wow. Wow. So you, you and I can crank those things up at 20 miles per hour. An athlete can get them above 20 miles per hour. And that's just the, the lowest speed e-bikes. There are two other classes that are legal in some cases on public trails that go even faster up to a motor assist of 28 miles per hour. You start to wow. see the difference of our, what, three miles per hour is what we tootle along on a trail on horseback. Yeah. And mules. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a huge difference. And, uh, mm-hmm. do these, do these things, do they make any noise at all? Or is it just no, no noise? I mean, no more than a regular bike. Well, it depends on the model. Some have a little bit of a whir. Either way, it's not loud like a motorcycle. Right. Um, I've checked out because I want to know, you know, what we're up against. I've ridden electric bikes and rented them, taken them on paved trails and dirt roads just so I know what I'm talking about. Um, some of them have a, sl- a small whir, and you might be able to hear it coming. Uh, a couple, many of them don't. They are almost silent. So mm. that's the threat, as we know. The silent approach, someone blasting by at a high speed, much higher than we, or coming around a blind corner, down switchbacks. Now, not only do horsemen have to be looking up a hill at switchbacks to see if a bike is coming down fast, now we have to look behind us as we're going up a hill because that motor assist can make them come up at speeds approaching 20, 28 miles per hour, which is pretty darn fast, and the threat is amplified as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby, you can imagine if you're, if you're riding along on your horse and all of a sudden something comes up behind you at 20 miles an hour that you just never saw. And well, you have a really great article on the website, um, Randy, about this that you've written and, um, and actually New Mexico, you, you write about the, uh, Lincoln, the Lincoln national forest in Southern New Mexico and and as I, what Gary, what you're just saying, you know, it seems to, defi- I don't know, if you were a bike rider and you could go 20 miles an hour or faster through a scenic area, it's kind of like, do you, what's your motivation? You're going so, are you going to see anything? <laughs> I mean, is the is the rider of the e-bike even have the same, not motivation is probably not the right word, but... Is it is it because it's a new territory to try out and the and the not obstacles of it, but the excitement and the anticipation of going into an area? When you're going at that speed, you you kind of losing why you know why a hiker or, or an equestrian or you know you know takes the trip. I mean, it's partly to experience the scenery. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Um, so I guess that's my first wonder is like, why would, 
e-bikers want, you know, why, why would they be drawn to, to go so quickly through an area? Um, and then why don't you talk a little bit about what's happening in New Mexico with the Lincoln National Forest? It's kind of interesting. Hey, thanks, Bobby. That's great. Um, yeah. Well, and to answer your question about speed and, and do, is it just a blur for some of these people? Sure. I don't doubt there are many people that would want to use e-bikes for the same reasons we do to, you know, enjoy nature, and they're not going to be going the full bore, you know, 20, 28 miles per hour. There's plenty of those folks, sure. But it's the ones we have to worry about that you're talking about that, you know, young, fit people who want to just see how fast they can do this loop. You know, there's this whole thing about the Strava app you can have and how quickly you can complete a given circuit on your bike, on your feet, on your horse. Um, I'm afraid of those people. I'm afraid of the adrenaline junkies, let's call them. The need for speed. The need for speed. The need for speed, yeah. Yeah. There is no doubt going to be – that is a prominent part of the electric mountain bike users. And if you go to the manufacturers of these electric mountain bikes, go to their website, that's the demographic they're pitching it to. It's not – Mon Pa with the wicker basket on the handlebars going out for a picnic. That's not what you're seeing the pictures of. You're seeing pictures of and videos on these websites of the e-bike manufacturers of young people tearing up trails, dirt flying, jumping off of things, going crazy. And it's so consistent mm-hmm. in the theme of who they're trying to sell the bikes to. That's the demographic that scares me. That's the demographic mm-hmm. I don't want to share trails with. Right, right, mm-hmm. right, yep. right. Yeah. Well, and already you've got mountain bikers without motors that are doing that, you know, as much as they can. So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. just adds to yeah, it. Yeah, and, and I don't mean to villainize the mountain bike community. I mean, we often work on them with joint things, but there still are conflicts in some places. That's, you know, some conflicts are not resolved. But then you add this additional speed factor. In New Mexico, Bobby, thanks for mentioning that, we have one of our rare victories, or at least to date, because there's only been a handful of, showdowns on the public lands where the Lincoln National Forest was going to build a bunch of new trail systems. And they thought initially it should be no problem to have the class one electric bikes, the one that go up to a motor assistance speed of 20 miles per hour on shared trails with hikers and horsemen. Um, They seem to think that would be a perfectly okay thing while they're creating a separate motorized trail system, just next, next door, so to speak. We made the case with Backcountry Horsemen of New Mexico and the, all the current science, the lack of science that exists on the impacts of motorized electric bikes and the social effects and the conflicts that we're talking about here. But we made a strong case that ultimately got the Forest Service to change their proposal to say, okay, we get it. The speed and potential for hazards and, and you, know, uh, you know, injuries and whatnot is so great we're going to keep the non-motorized folks separate from the electric bikes, and they're going to be able to share with the motorcycles, but not with hikers and horsemen. That's a rare victory that I hope to replicate in other places, but that's one of 155 national forests. We can't, you know, be in a position to be on the defensive playing whack-a-mole and trying to knock back these proposals as they pop up because there's one on the mm-hmm. Tahoe National Forest right now in California, Nevada, you know, the border there around the Lake Tahoe that we're going to lose some ground on mm. because it's coming one way or the other. And we won't be able to chalk that up as a major victory. Um, but, but that's where we're forced to do is battle at the ground level right now. And we don't have chapters 
for Backcountry Horsemen of America in every location where this is going to come up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. That is unfortunate. So, anyway, folks need to be aware of it. How can how can people express their opinions where it counts, Randy? Well, thanks, Gary. I mean, certainly, if you're not a member of Backcountry Horsemen of America yet, please go to our website, bcha.org. That's short for, obviously, an acronym for Backcountry Horsemen of America, bcha.org. Just halfway down on that landing page, there's a chapter locator. And you can see if there's a chapter near you or in your state, there's over 200 chapters, 32 states that we cover. And if there's an absence and you think there's a need for a Backcountry Horseman of America chapter in your state that doesn't exist, let's talk about how we can create one and and add to the BCHA family. But being engaged at the local level, and then Bobby mentioned um, the, the article we have in our current newsletter. You can just do a search once you're in the heart of the BCHA website, do a search for newsletter or even uh, alerts or e-bikes, if you will. Uh, And you'll come up with our update from 2021 that has a lot of guidance about how you start to set the stage for preparing for, you know, the onslaught of e-bike use in a forest near you or on public lands near you. It's coming. And we have to be prepared to have those discussions Enter them, you know, uh, with a recognition that we might have to give some ground. I hate to say this. I never say this. But, you know, we certainly have trails that we really are our most priority trails and ones that we could care less about. You know, we're going to have to start making those decisions pretty soon. So the, the update on our website about e-bikes kind of walks people through about how to become involved in local trail coalitions, how to have those conversations with their federal land management agencies or state agencies, if you will, to start getting ahead of this because it's coming. And we have to be prepared. We have to unite with the hikers and the bird watchers and all the other people who care about things that we care about. We have to be able to stand up and and say, these are things important to us. And we can see where e-bikes might fit in, but not, we're not going to give up the stuff that's important to us. So here's how we do it. Right, right. Well, people need to to not stand on the sidelines. They need to express their opinions. And, uh, you know, we're kind of going back to a period of time where we've got a lot of people that will protest and and make their thoughts known, you know. So uh, do that by writing letters, get on the phone, join Backcountry Horsemen of America, and uh, let folks know how you feel about things. So there is a funny thing, Randy, that I just saw. Uh, in Fairview, Tennessee, and they are actually having a city meeting tonight, I think, on this subject. But they've got a park there, and uh, they've got some really nice little horse trails on that park. And so the city is proposing that trail riders use manure bags for their horses. What do you think? So I have I have several friends that like to ride that park and uh they're just a little bit upset about this proposal about the manure bags. Somebody posted today, you know, horses are not supposed to be wearing diapers. But uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> So when that starts happening to, when that starts happening to the national parks, you know, we may have to 
we may have to protest that as well. But uh, yeah, check that out, Fairview, Tennessee, Bowie Park. Okay. And they're they're proposing manure bags on trail riders' horses. So I'm I'm eager to see how that's going to come out. I may have to have somebody on the show to talk about the manure bags in Bowie Park in Fairview, Tennessee. But uh, other things that we want to talk about uh, when we come back from a real quick little break is the danger that we're having with uh, public lands and the threats to the public lands that we all enjoy as well. But right now, let's take a listen to a song by Matt Robertson, a good friend up in Canada. It's called Range Rider, and we'll come back and talk more with our special guest, Mr. Randy Rasmussen, in just a moment. Saddle of America. I like worn and bridles And this old single rig saddle a caballo with some fire when the day is through It brings me home It brings me home to you Cause I'm a range rider Beneath the western sky I like a caballo With a fire in his eyes And I'm a range rider I'm a lover too I need a fire Bringing me to you And I have a fire Bringing me to you There's hidden holes in the desert Canyons cross the mountains, the swampland and the river may swallow you. I need a heart that can pull me through. Cause I'm a range rider beneath the western skies. I like a goodbye with a fire in his eyes. I'm a range rider I'm a lover too I need a fire Bringing me to you And I have a fire Bringing me to you I like war and this old single rig saddle A caballo with some fire when the day's through Cause I'm a range rider Beneath the western skies I like a caballo With a fire in his eyes And I'm a range rider I'm a lover too I need a fire Bringing me to you And I have a fire Bringing me to you 
Mr. Matt Robertson, Range Rider is the song, and we are talking about uh, e-bikes, and we're talking about uh, manure bags, and we're going to talk a little bit about threats to our public lands now with our very special guest, Mr. Randy Rasmussen. So, Randy, I am seeing all kinds of things that are alarming. Uh, Some are on public lands, some are on Native American lands. But what are the biggest threats to our public lands right now? At the moment, I think the biggest threats after electric bikes that we just talked about uh, for Backcountry Horsemen of America seems to be horse camping and the inability to secure a site because it's taken over by people without stock um, in many places in our national parks, specifically in our national forests. You know, if you can't stay at the trailhead, if you can't, you know, if you travel for 200 miles to get to a place and all the equestrian campsites are occupied by people that, you know, don't have stock and they've got their kids playing in the, in the corrals and things like that and running around, uh, it's turned away a lot of our folks from using trails and doing work parties and things like that because there's no place to legally camp. Um, you know, that probably doesn't pop up on your list right away, but we're seeing that across the country more and more. I think you and I have touched upon it in the recent past here, but that is turning away a lot of our people from enjoying public lands in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is that just more people that are out hiking and doing things like that, or they're just, they're just taking up the space that used to be for trail riders, equestrians. Yes. And it was happening before COVID, you know, at a, at a smaller scale, but with it, and so many people getting outdoors and, and you know, and, and, with the good intentions trying to get out there and take their families camping, they're occupying right. horse camps more and more. Um, you know, so again, it, there's a good reason probably why it's happening, but the agencies aren't able to handle it. A lot of the reservation systems, at least for those campsites you can reserve, don't say you have to have stock to occupy a horse camp and people are just snapping them up online or whatnot. It's become such a problem that we're seeking the help of the U.S. Forest Service leadership in ways to work with the concessioners who operate a portion of the Forest Service campsite or the agency itself that operates the majority of them. You know, how can we get around this to a point where we can pretty much guarantee either a reservation when we need to make one for a horse camp or when we show up first come first serve that there aren't other people occupying horse camps and they're there's some good case studies and things happening, but on a national level, it's still perplexing about how we get there and what the real solution is. The last thing you want to do is give a ticket to a family who's camping. That's right. That's not right. the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There's got to be other other ways to do it in terms of how you reserve a campsite and who's eligible. Uh, that gives people the hint that there's a limited amount of equestrian campsites to begin with. Let's not, you know, occupy those sites till, let's say, till 6 o'clock in the evening if, you know, equestrians don't show up, then maybe a campsite's available for people on a first-come, first-served basis, but only for one day, mind you, not, hmm. you know, for the week uh, kind of things. That's what we're, the kind of model we're looking to get, but I think a national solution is going to be difficult, and we'll probably be doing more things at the regional in state level to kind of get some solutions with respect to the forest, U.S. Forest Service I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, the number of equestrians has continued to go down. Uh, and the number of people using the, the public lands for other um, 
use has increased. You know, your hikers, your bikers, your your ATVers. Um, you know, that all seems to be increasing, and uh, that's one of the reasons that I think people need to get involved with an organization such as Backcountry Horsemen of America because I guess, and you can correct me, Randy, if I'm not right, but BCHA is about the only organization that's really standing up for the trail users, aren't they, equestrian trail users? Uh, well, BCHA is the, the nation's number one for public lands issues. There's, we have a great counterpart working on private land issues co- called the Equestrian Land Conservation Resource, and right. we hope to get their executive director on board to one of our one of our next uh, maybe next month with you and me and, and talking about what they do. For yeah, we'd private look lands forward, and the great look work they to do. Talking to her. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, we as and, and there's there's other groups like the American Endurance Ride. Uh, council that does endurance rides throughout the nation, and they do they have a trail component. But yeah, I guess we're fairly unique in that we focus exclusively, you know, on the public lands and the federal public lands. But also, state many of our 32 states work with the state parks departments or other related agencies on those uses. But we're doing it collectively at a national level. But you put your finger on an important statistic, Gary, that we are a minority trail user. There's no question in most places, if not all. Uh, horse and stock uses, you know, the lo- you know, much lower than hiking, mountain biking, and other uses. So we've got to be more vocal. We've got to make sure we're in front of the agencies as a partner, hopefully not adversarial, but we do have to do that sometimes. But as a partner, because as the agencies, you know, and they have younger and younger staff all the time that didn't grow up with horses or been mountain biking all their lives, that they have a tendency to want to say, well, of course, that's what everyone does, right? Hiking and mountain biking. What's this thing about you horse people? We have to be there to educate them, to let them know what we do. And, and, and importantly, of course, the backcountry horsemen and women maintain trails. That's why we exist, to maintain access for that right. use. So we can say, we're not just saying you have to do this for us, agency people, but here's what we're willing to do for you, and here's how we maintain trails, and we partner with you and other trail groups to get the work done, that's, that's, our, that's our bread and butter. And if we didn't have that stewardship component, we'd be just another special interest demanding access when you know, we've got to walk the talk. We've got to do the work and get our hands dirty, and that's what our volunteers are known for. So as we do that, we continue our visibility. We continue to have agreements with the agencies, and we do some amazing work to keep trails open that nobody else can do, especially in the backcountry and wilderness area where – you can't even hike in the equipment you need and the saws and whatnot to maintain trails. So we have our partners, you know, the long-distance trails like the Pacific Crest and Continental Divide, even that portion of the Appalachian National Scenic Trail in the Great Smoky Mountains. They can't maintain their trails without us, and those partners that maintain trails with us uh, that oversee those trails really appreciate the backcountry horsemen and women because we can only us can do it. So it's it's increasing our visibility with the agencies and with our partners that make sure we stay, you know, front and center with the agencies and that our, our needs aren't overlooked. Well, that's an important thing. And um, to be able to, to pack in the kind of equipment that is required to maintain these trails is something that BCHA is expert in. So, 
Anyway, well, Randy Rasmussen, this has been an interesting conversation. And um, people need to get involved with BCHA, and they can do that by visiting bcha.org. Um, I know in Tennessee, I think there are at least three, maybe four, uh, BCHA chapters. And uh, many states, uh, how many states are you in now? 32. 32 states. So that's that's getting yeah. pretty doggone good. That is getting pretty <laughs> doggone coast good. To coast. coast yeah. to coast. And uh, I, I just got a phone call this week from uh, Middle Tennessee, Backcountry Horsemen of America, and they're coming to uh, my rendezvous in Tennessee. They're going to be doing uh, backpacking demonstrations. And t- not backpacking, but outfitting, packing demonstrations, teaching people how to pack and get in the backcountry. And um, so it's it's always good to gain the knowledge, and that's one of the things that you guys are great about is the educational programs that you have in place as well. Absolutely. We've got some master educators, including Leave No Trace educators in Tennessee. We've got some wonderful people there, so I'm sure they'll put on a great demonstration and have some great discussion with you all. Uh, we're looking forward to that. I guess I guess that's what they're trying to do in Fairview, Tennessee, is Leave No Trace. With those maneuver bags. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Stay tuned. We'll keep you updated on what happens with that. Maybe next week. But anyway, Randy, thanks for being with us today. Look forward to my pleasure. Look forward to having you back next month. All right, Thank we're going to listen to a listen to a great song from Mr. Darren Little. It's called The Holland Hotel, and we'll be back in just a moment on Saddle of America. Thanks, Randy. You bet. Sing 
stories, our rhymes and our spells On a border town night at the Holland Hotel Tennessee at the Circle E Guest Ranch, and we're going to have a great time. Uh, Jim is coming to bring his chili, I'm sure, for our chili cook-off. Hope the things eternal. It does. I, I'm going to get you out of here one day for this thing, but uh, but it, we're going to have a great time. Three days of trail riding. Uh, music concerts every night with award-winning entertainers. We're going to have shopping. We're going to have a clinic by Richard Winters. That'll be a two-day clinic here in Tennessee. We are going to have a chili cook-off on uh, Saturday, so we need folks to compete in that chili cook-off. The prize money starts at $250 for that. And uh, and oh. then we need we need people to come out and eat some chili. Because that's going to be a good thing. But all of this mm-hmm. is to benefit Jennifer O'Neill's Hope and Healing at Healing Glade. And they work with our veterans with PTSD and first responders. And then also benefiting from that will be Mustang Heritage Foundation. And they find homes for America's Mustangs. So it's going to be a great time, a lot of fun. You'll meet a lot of great people. And that is Rendezvous east at the circle e guest ranch and that takes place june the 17th through the 20th and then we're coming out west to the bryce canyon area and uh we'll have some of the same things going on i've got a great chuck wagon cook that's going to be coming out and doing the cooking for that event and again if you have not seen the red rock beauty of southern utah you're in for a treat so that's coming up in September, and I believe the dates on that are 16th through the 19th. So a lot of fun. And, again, all of this is to raise money for hope and healing at Hillinglade. 
and uh, Mustang Heritage Foundation. And I think, Bobby, that Jennifer O'Neill is going to be showing up at Rendezvous East. And um, mm, Wonderful. Yeah, you know, mm. she, she starred, I think her very first movie was with John Wayne. And I believe she was 18 years old at the time. And uh, and then Summer 42 was a huge movie for her. And, of course, she's uh, been a cover girl model for 32 years. So it'll be a lot of fun to get out and visit. But we've got a lot of great fun that's going to take place. And, I, you know, I've never been to one of the rendezvous where people have not made lifelong friends. And that's pretty cool. That oh, is wow. pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. have a yeah. have a great time, yeah. make lifelong friends, and uh, do something to help benefit a couple of very worthwhile charity causes as well. So, so I see that you have a new radio gig coming up. Oh, um, yes, I do. <laughs> yes. So tell us. Uh, I think yes. this weekend. I think this weekend. Aren't you previewing or doing something? Yes, um, I am uh, sort of joining Terry Brown and the Buy American Radio family, and um, we will be um, airing the Out West Hour, which currently airs on KUPR.org, um, 99.9 here, FM here in Placidas, New Mexico. Um, we will actually be airing a um, Out West Hour every Friday at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time at buyamericanradio.com. And then on um, Sunday, I'm creating a show called The Master's Call, inspired by that famous Marty Robbins song. And it is an hour of music um, to inspire and to feed your soul and um, really, really fun Western, mostly Western, a little bit of country maybe, but mostly Western music and poetry. And it will air on buyamericanradio.com Sundays also at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And um, I just put the first one together yesterday, and it's really fun. I'm gonna. I may ask Terry if I could have a two-hour slot. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! But well, it's really fun. I don't necessarily. Yeah. So yeah, I have that coming up. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, Bobby just does not have enough radio on the plate with the Campfire <laughs> Cafe and Saddle Up America, and then she does the Writer's Block on Thursday nights. And now she'll have yep. a couple of shows on buyamericanradio.com. So, anyway, good. Yep. Yep. My, my best wishes to Terry and his new endeavor with uh, Buy American Radio. But, uh, anyway, it has been so much fun today. And we've had a great guest with Hal Cannon. Very interesting with Randy Rasmussen. I'm very eager to find out what happens with these manure bags on trail horses. So, we'll... <laughs> We'll keep everybody informed on that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Only in Tennessee would they imagine something like that. But uh, anyway, give us a closing thought for today. This is a a quote by uh, Bernard Williams. The day the Lord created hope was probably the same day he created spring. Oh, I like that. And spring is springing everywhere, so I'm excited about that. So, 
Yeah. But anyway, next week we've got Jennifer Lynn joining us for the Campfire Cafe. We'll be joined by uh, Robert Eversole. No, next week we have Jesse and Noah Bellamy on the Campfire Cafe. I was, I was yeah. just going to say, wait, did I have something wrong in my in no, my brain? No, no, <laughs> I was just I was just cross-eyed looking at my, my notes cross-eyed. Jesse and Noah Bellamy, right. they are the they are the sons of David Bellamy of the Bellamy Brothers, and these guys are really great. You're going to love their music. And then Robert Eversole, the showmaster, will be joining us for Saddle of America. We want to remind you that you can go back and listen to this show and other shows on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, as well as our website at equestrianlegacy.net. So, Bobby Bell, we will see you next week on the radio. So have a blessed weekend. All right. We're going to close this show with a great song from Adrian Brannan, and it's from her CD, a new CD she put out about a year ago, but this is one called Gunpowder on the Wind. We want to thank you for listening to Equestrian Legacy Radio.
ground, saw the lights of town. Casino lit up and the fireworks flew, cause the man with the stare lost. He said he knew. Gone past.